Well, my text this evening is just one verse from where Cameron has already read this evening from Matthew chapter 5 and it's verse 4. Remember that um, a few weeks back we looked at the first of these, of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we come today to the second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if ever there is a verse of scripture that is easily misunderstood, it's this one. Because the immediate application that we want to apply to it is such as we've been praying tonight for those that have lost loved ones, their mourning, and we want to pray that they will be comforted. And that's good. It's proper and right to do that. And we know that God is a God who does and will comfort those who mourn during a period of bereavement. Psalm 34 verse 18 says that the Lord is near to the broken hearted. And I guarantee that there's probably not one of us here tonight that has not been found in that situation where we have been broken hearted, we have lost a loved one, a partner, a friend, uh, and it's almost as if the grief just overwhelms us. But God has come. God has brought comfort. God has brought, God has brought peace. God has brought strength. And he has been the one who has comforted us. And, and I can look back over situations and circumstances. of I can remember perhaps losing a friend that I worked with. He was much older than me, but we were very, very close. And we'd gone to separate jobs, but we kept in touch. Uh, and I can remember the phone ringing one day, and it was his, wife. his wife was ringing me up to tell me that this person had suddenly had a heart attack at the age of 53 and died. And I can tell you, I was broken hearted. It absolutely just wrenched me because I was so close to this guy. He wasn't a believer. He had come to church a couple of times. We'd encouraged him. We'd taken him to church and everything else. But at that time, when that phone call came, I remember my heart just broke. Because this person I worked with, I was so close to him. We were such good friends. And we could multiply time over time, can't we? How we've gone through circumstances, we've gone through those situations where someone that has been special to us, for me, again, I think of it when my mother died, and more so with my mother than my father, although I did grieve over them both, but when my mother died 20 years ago, I was broken hearted. But it was the Lord who came, the Lord who came to strengthen, the Lord who came to comfort. But when we come to this verse again tonight in Matthew chapter 5, as I said, it's a verse that can so easily be misunderstood as to what this verse is actually really referring to. And we'll get to that in a moment. Remember that when we looked at the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that I explained for that beatitude that the being poor had nothing whatsoever with material poverty, but rather it was to do with spiritual poverty. 
That is, it is those that are poor, those who have come to realise that as far as things go spiritually, and especially with regard to salvation, we have absolutely nothing to bring before God. Nor to offer in any way to bring atonement for our sin. Therefore, we realise that we're poor. We're hopeless. We have nothing. And you remember the verse of the song that I quoted. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. So that's what it means to be poor in spirit. To come to the end of ourselves spiritually. And realise that we've got to totally depend 100% upon God. When we do, ours is the kingdom of heaven. And so when we come to this second beatitude again this evening, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, it is not to do with the natural. It is not to do with the physical. So it isn't originally or primarily talking to those who are mourning over the loss of a loved one. Although we can see that the context is there, that if we do mourn, he comforts us. The mourning that this verse is talking about, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, is to do with the mourning that we do with us coming to a place of regret over our sin. To mourn over what we are as sinners in our rebellion towards God and to come to the only one who can comfort us and bring us relief. That is, the relief that we need from our sin. The relief that takes away the guilt of the sin. The relief that takes away any threat of punishment for the sin. And so, as we come to the cross and rely on the wonderful atonement that Christ has made on our behalf, we come as those who mourn over sin and we're set free. And therefore, we who are set free are the ones who are comforted. Donald Carson, an American uh, preacher, you might have heard of him, D.A. Carson, in one of his books puts it this way. This is the mourning experienced by a man, and I'll add a woman as well, who begins to recognize the blackness of sin. The more that he is exposed to the purity of God. And I like that picture. I'll say it again. This is the mourning experienced by a man or woman who begins to recognize the blackness of his sin the more he is exposed to the purity of God. And Carson in the same book goes on to use the example of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And we know it very well, but we're going to read those verses, verses 1 to 7, that says this. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, and this is Isaiah speaking, and I said, Woe is me. See, he had seen the glory of God. He'd seen the purity of God. And as he was faced with the purity of God, he began to mourn over his sinfulness. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And to me, as Carson points out, those verses are a brilliant example of what that beatitude is all about. Isaiah cries out as he sees the glory of God. Woe is me. He mourned over his sin. And the seraphim came to comfort him. And his sin was atoned for. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Let's be honest for those of us this evening that have mourned over our sin. Is it not a great comfort to know that in Christ we've been forgiven? In Christ we've been set free? And in Christ and through what Christ has done for us, we've been reconciled to God as our Heavenly Father. So because we've mourned over our sin, we know what it is to be comforted. Now, if you've truly mourned over our spiritual condition, and have truly known the comfort from being forgiven, then I truly believe that if we've genuinely mourned and have genuinely been comforted, then we should not have any desire whatsoever to return to that which caused us to mourn in the first place. It's like a pig. You wash a pig, you know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to go back into the dirt. But we as believers in mourning over our sin and knowing the comfort of God and all that that brings to us, once we've been washed, once we've been cleansed, we should have no desire whatsoever to return to that which caused us to mourn in the first place. And I cannot understand. I try to ponder it. I try to think about it. And it doesn't matter how much I think about it. I cannot understand believers who want to live as much in the world as they also claim to want in Christ, to live in Christ. 
somehow there are those who have come to know Jesus and yet they struggle to give up the world they struggle to put off they struggle to let go and to surrender everything to God Colossians 3 verses 1 to 2 says this if then you have been raised with Christ and that to me speaks of the mourning and being comforted if you've known what it is to mourn over your sin if you know what it is to know the comfort of God because you've mourned over your sin then seek the things that are above that's what the word of God says if you then have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth and then it continues to say for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory and as I was considering these thoughts and I read that scripture there from Colossians back home in preparation my mind went to another story in the New Testament and we know it very well it's the parable of the prodigal son or that's what we call it and can you imagine the prodigal son ever deciding that he would run away the second time I can't I can't imagine the prodigal son deciding to run away a second time see the first time he had left his family we, we know that he'd left his father there's no mention of a mother but we assume that she was still alive he'd left his brother and he had what he thought was everything he needed to go it alone to do everything in his own way but we know what happened he soon fell into trouble physically mentally and financially yes all three but I believe that he also fell into trouble spiritually as well and how do I know well we'll come to that point in a moment See, the prodigal son, in choosing to leave home, became lost. He became lonely. He was helpless. He was hopeless. And this is what the parable says. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living and when he had spent everything a sea of famine arose in that country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything he was desperate he was in a real mess and I tell you having worked with pigs you don't want to eat what the pigs are eating 
But that's how desperate he was. That's how hungry he was. And so he sat down amongst the pigs. He was probably not looking or smelling any better than the pigs did. He began to have a deep look inside of himself. And what did he do? He began to mourn. Not for the loss of a loved one, but for the lostness of his soul. He had acted wrongly. He had rebelled against the authority of his father. He had acted out of his self-centeredness. And as he mourned, it says, he came to his senses and began to make the journey he needed to take to return back to family and home. And we know the story very well. But I love the words in verse 15 of Luke 20 that says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's one of the loveliest verses in the Bible. And when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, this lad, this boy, this son, if he hadn't made any attempts to scrub himself up, he would have still been dirty. He would have still been scruffy. He would have still been smelly. And yet, with all of the grubbiness and the dirt and the stench, his father embraced him and kissed him. To me, that is so powerful. But one thing for sure is this, that once he returned, he was no longer smelly. He was no longer scruffy. He was no longer dirty. For the father's response was this, bring quickly, rush, hurry up, don't waste any time. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet. Now I said that his running off had a spiritual effect. And here it is. This is how we know it affected him spiritually. For we then see the mournful state of this lad as a sinner. This is what he says to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, what had happened was not only a rebellion against his father and against his family, but it was also rebellion against God. I have sinned, he admits. He confesses he had sinned. He's mourning over what he had done. And he acknowledges that it was against heaven, that is against God, and against you, that was against his father. 
But note that he puts the sin against God first. First. Here, how were his actions a sin against God? Well, the most obvious example is that in his rebellion towards family and home, he had broken one of the commandments. I don't know if you ever stopped to think about it. He'd broken one of the commandments. And what is the commandment? The commandment is this. Honour your father and mother. Honour your father and mother. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So in dishonouring his parents, in demanding what he wanted, he was dishonouring God. And whenever we sin against another person, we need to remember it is first and foremost a sin against God. But on arriving home, he's confessed, or he confesses what he has done, and he is comforted. For although he expected to become as one of the hired servants, he's reinstated as a son. He was back where he belonged. He was clothed. He was fed. He was welcomed. So why on earth would he ever consider running away again? He learned the lesson the first time. And he learned it the hard way. So listen, the parable of the prodigal son is not just about backsliders. That's the slant we always seem to put upon it. It's not just about backsliders. It is about mankind in general. Outside of Christ we are sinners. We are lost and hopeless. We are living in the pigsty of utter depravity. And we all need to come to the place of mourning and of regret and of sorrow for our sin. And the rebellion we have shown towards the authority of God. And we need to run to the Father by running to the cross in the story of the prodigal the son who was at home didn't want to know about the return of the brother but when it comes to the heavenly father the son who is at home is ready to welcome us and he proved it by stretching his hands out on a cruel cross to say I love you come home mourn for your sin." And when you do, you will be comforted. And we who have come to Jesus are those who have been welcomed home. We have known what it is to both mourn and to be comforted. comforted. We have been clothed in the robes of righteousness. Listen to what it says in Psalm 30 and verses 11 to 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. What a transformation. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So let's stay close to the cross. Stay close to the cross. Let's stay safe inside the home and in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Let's enjoy the clothes that he has given us. Let's enjoy the robe of righteousness. Let's enjoy the garments of praise. And let's not seek or desire to return to the pigsty, 
to get those garments dirty. But let us keep close to the one whose precious blood has cleansed us. I want to add this thought as well today. That our mourning over sin needs to be genuine. Needs to be genuine. We cannot cry crocodile tears before the presence of God. We cannot bluff or pretend. For God knows exactly what is going on deep in our hearts. And he knows the thoughts of every man and woman. God knows if our mourning over our sin has been genuine or not. I think I might have told you that when we were living in Poole, and the church we went to was in Bournemouth, that one night um, I shared the gospel, and uh, this one person responded, and so I took this person out the back to, to lead them to the Lord, and as I was sharing with them, talking with them, I sensed that their cry for salvation was not genuine. But we went through the motions, and he gave his heart to the Lord. But he wasn't genuine. I discovered within a very short time that the only reason this person wanted to make a so-called profession of faith and to give those crocodile tears was because he had an eye on a girl in the congregation. But when he knew that she wasn't interested, he wasn't interested in the church. He was gone. See, God knows if we're genuine. And we need to be genuine before God. Because we need to be serious with God. Because the consequences are serious as well. I want to close with a final thought. And recall the quote that I gave from Dr. D. Carson. I'll say it again. This is the morning experienced by a man who begins to recognize the blackness of his sin the more he's exposed to the purity of God. How can the dark and sinful world around us be brought to a place of mourning over their sin? It is black, isn't it? It is dark. This world is hopelessly lost. And it seems to be getting darker every day that we live. How can the world around us, the sinners around us, be brought to a place of mourning over their sin? Because those around us, they have no time for God. They don't give a thought to going to a place of worship. They most certainly don't care about what the Bible says. Today's society is so far removed from God and his righteous ways. How, how can they be exposed to the purity of God? Well, we could list many answers, but perhaps the most effective way would be for those of us who have known what it is to mourn and who have been comforted to let the unbelieving world know. It's our responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Because we've known the goodness of God. We've known the grace of God. 
and somehow the purity of God needs to be reflected in who we are in our lifestyle what we stand up for and what we're willing to be counted for in this day and age and so our testimony is something that needs to remain unspotted by the things of the world and so we need to maintain a line of demarcation that shows the world that the grace of God has transformed us and has made us different see we will never be the examples that God wants us to be if we participate in the things that the ones we are trying to win need themselves to be delivered from stands to reason doesn't it we will never be the examples that God wants us to be if we participate in the things that the ones we are trying to win need themselves to be delivered from there will be no difference we cannot we must not as the psalmist says in the first psalm walk in the counsel of the ungodly we cannot stand in the way of sinners we cannot sit in the seat of the scoffers the very fact that we've mourned over our sin means we should no longer desire to be entangled with it again we should stand tall with our heads held up high knowing that because God has given us the comfort we need that we can be the instruments in bringing that comfort to others we make friends with sinners not being as they are because that's what we were we befriend the sinner and spend time with the sinner so that they can see our good works that is the evidences of our salvation the change that has taken place because of the grace of God and themselves perhaps will then come to a place of mourning and be comforted and will glorify God in heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and we've known what it is to mourn we know what it is to be comforted and continually to be comforted as the children of God but there are so many around us that don't know that they haven't got a clue may we be those that will speak to them share something with them reflect something of God to them that they too will come to that place of mourning over their sin and knowing what it is to be comforted